It's just two questions though, and they're very facilitated questions that'll leave you an emotionally higher level with your customer. They'll gonna, they'll feel like you're that they're in control, and they'll they'll think of you as a trusted advisor, and that's what you're going for, right? We don't want we don't want just a quick fix that gets us uh, you know, manipulate someone into buying our stuff. Now we want long term, lifelong, lasting relationships with clients, and there's a way to facilitate their decision making without pressuring them. And I think that's why it's resonated so well. And now here's this episode of the Elevating IT podcast sponsored by Audit. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Elevating IT podcast. This is a special live recorded episode of the Elevating IT podcast. I have a special guest with me today, Mr. James Muir, who is the author of this book that I've been waving around for the past bit. And if you're listening to this on the recording, you can't see that I'm holding up a book called The Perfect Close, which is a bestseller on Amazon. It has sold like 20,000 plus copies, and it is a self-published book, which is to sell, to, to, to publish your own book and sell that much on Amazon is extraordinary. And, and James also works for a, uh, a company called Essential Hub. Do I have that right, James? That's correct. I'm a, I'm the chief revenue officer. So I guess the first question I have to ask you, this is kind of a, a uh, I want to, I want you to reintroduce yourself, but I have to ask you, when you are out there selling your product, do people like, you know, okay, he's going to use the perfect clothes. <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised. I mean, most of the clients that we talk to this, they're not that well read on the, on the sales book. So it doesn't more, more likely I'm going to get an invite from somebody on LinkedIn and they'll say, Hey James, does it make sense to, and then they'll, then they'll hit me with their, uh, with their pitch. So I, I laugh and it's a, it's a good gag, it, but it works, right? Cause it tells me that they yeah. actually, they actually read it. I think that's how I invited you to the podcast. Yeah. You're very clever. It works. You can see it's a hundred percent effective. Hundred <laughs> percent effective, exactly. Um, so, thank you very much for being here. Did I? Yeah. You know, please, if I'm missing anything on your background, you know, fill us in, especially on how you, you know, came to decide to write a book on this. Sure. Well, you know, it, it mostly stemmed from my own personal need. I'm an accidental salesperson. I've been in sales for 30 years. I've had every single role that you can think of all the way from individual contributor to being a demo dolly to being an EVP. And I've managed sales forces as high as 100 uh, folks. So, um, but um, I, I got drafted initially. I was uh, in operations and then uh, things happen in the business that forced me to get involved in the sales side of it. And, uh, and then it turns out, although it didn't happen immediately, immediately it sucked, but <laughs> eventually I found out, Hey, this is, this is perfect for me. This is exactly what I was built for. I one time took this, uh, a personality test that said, um, you know, it, it, it put, had these little wheels on it and it, it put where you should be and where you are. And both of my dots were in the same box. So I knew that I had found my, uh, my role in life when I had taken that because, uh, but it, it wasn't like that at first. So if you're worried that, you know, Hey, you have to be a born salesperson. I don't think so because man, I did not know how to close at the very beginning and I didn't have any mo uh, mentors. And so I, ended up buying all these different books to try to figure out how to close. And I tried some of these closes on, oh my goodness, did I make some huge mistakes trying these different uh, types of closes on people. And um, and so I learned the hard way what does and doesn't work. And about 99% of what you, if you just go, you know, do a, an internet search for, you know, best clothes for whatever, probably there's a 99% chance that what you're going to get is some really bad advice. Yeah. And, um, and so I learned uh, through the School of Hard Knocks and accidentally bumped into uh, the phrases or the two questions that we use in the perfect close. And then when I started managing my own teams, I realized it, was a, it wasn't just a problem for me, it's a problem for a lot of other people too. And so I wrote that to help the people that I work with. And so, um, like I said, I've been in, uh, in sales for like 30 years now. So I've been managing teams for probably 15 to 20 of that. That's awesome. And, you know, we talked a little bit behind the scenes about why you wrote the book you were pretty transparent about that and and how you how you came about um to to decide to publish this and self-publish this and how much you've sold i'd love for you to share a little bit about that 
Um, sure. Well, uh, the thing that you mentioned that's kind of interesting is it is a self-published book, and I could go on at length, uh, but probably not all of your audience is authors. Uh, but as far as I can tell, there is no compelling reason to use a publisher. Um, I, uh, I actually was ha in talks with Wiley about doing a, it as a dummies book, but uh, they they keep all the rights that you they won't necessarily. Um, uh, do an audio book or any follow-up stuff and so you're you're very handcuffed on what you can and can't do they're gonna make all the decisions about the titles and the content and how long it's gonna be and all that kind of stuff and um, and you really don't get any more for it and so um, yeah I, I, I can't find a other than if you feel like a, it's an ego boost to have um, Wiley or someone like that publish your book I can't see a compelling reason to do it so um, I self-published it, it means it, it trickles in a little bit different and by the way your audience might laugh at this right because uh, I remember uh, when I, f I, I first started getting this idea that I wanted to do this, it was, I don't know, maybe seven years into my career or something like that. And I said, oh, I'm going to write a book and go into sales training and make a million dollars. And then I learned as I met more and more authors that they uh, authors don't, best-selling authors even, don't really make as much money as you might think that they do, right? right. So, um, so it's almost used in the industry like more like a calling card. But um, we have done very well with it. The average author maybe sells, especially self-published author, sells way less than 5,000. And, and we've sold over 25,000 copies of that Amazing. book. So um, it's been, and I think, you know, I, I, we were talking about before, um, I think it's because the approach is very authentic. It is, um, it's a very genuine way. It is zero pressure, totally non-confrontational and highly successful. It's like in the 90 to 95% range in terms of its success. So um, it's just been unfortunate, right? That, uh, you know, I think we're in three, four years or, uh, that it's been out. Uh, I got new stuff coming out soon, but um, it's, it's done very well. Yeah, it's amazing. And really, um, I mean, the title is perfect. Like, it's one of those things where you, you know, I don't know if you did that accidentally or if you researched it, like, you know, there's all sorts of talk about how to make the perfect title, but people have criticized the title quite a lot, actually. And that's, I think, because most of the people first assume that the perfect close is um, some manipulative phrase that can cause a person to be magically persuaded to buy your thing. And that's, and obviously you read it, right? So, so you know that it's not that. No. Um, it's just two questions though. And they're very facilitated questions that'll leave you an emotionally higher level with your customer. They'll, gonna, they'll feel like you're, that they're in control and they'll, they'll think of you as a trusted advisor. And that's what you're going for, right? We don't want, we don't want just a quick fix that gets us, uh, you know, manipulate someone into buying our stuff now. We want long-term, lifelong, lasting relationships with clients. And there's a way to facilitate their decision-making without pressuring them. And I think that's why it's resonated so well. Yeah. And, you know, the um, I, I had a lot of different experience in sales. And um, my first experience was um, selling retail. And then my second experience after that was selling vacuum cleaners door to door. Sure. Kirby, maybe? Uh, Electrolux. Oh, okay. Okay. And you know, they put you through this training and it's like, oh, you feel so gross. And I'm looking at my bookshelf. You can't see my bookshelf, but I've got all the old time books with all the, the closes, the tie downs, the, the Ben Franklin clothes, all those, those tactics. And, you know, I, I get that they work, but they just don't feel right. And in one of the things that our founder who are the founder of audit, always talks about is, you know, you can go through sales trainings and, and you go and you get pumped up and these, the person facilitating it is a, a really just makes you think you can do this. And then you go back and you talk about, you try this stuff on somebody and it just feels uncomfortable. And they, they look at you like, what are you trying to do? And you realize that not everybody can do this. Now your book, anybody can do this. This is the first book that I've ever read about sales that I'm like, I could give this to my daughter and tell her do this from now on when you are trying to get what you want whatever it is and you'll you'll be successful you can use it with your spouse right it's crazy <laughs> you know like, it doesn't have to be a, a, a official sales capacity that you're using the questions no it's so non and should we spoil the book or should we oh like, yeah let's let's on? yeah no no let's give the whole you say in the first chapter to go ahead and skip ahead and and that's what i did you know i, I got the book and i went to chapter 12 which is way back here uh, and and I read it first and then I went back and read the rest of the book. Yeah, if your listeners want to get the diagrams, we're going to share the secrets here in just a second, but uh, if they want to get the diagrams, they can just go to puremuir, P-U-R-E-M-U-I-R.com forward slash resources, just or click on the resources when you get there. 
and there's a big bundle and, and and in that bundle that you can download i used to have all set all 12 of those things as separate downloads that was taking too long for people so i just stuck it on one file but anyway so you can get all of these things that we're going to talk about and you can look at them and it'll it'll make sense to you as we go through these if you're not because uh, i don't have any screen share stuff for us to do so we can we'll just talk through it it's it, honestly it's so easy it doesn't really require that you have any visuals but it is if you need it it's all right there for free right and before you go into it i want to just make sure that people get this book um, because the, the you go over the perfect close, but then in the rest of it, the rest of the book is really like a roadmap for how to go out and sit down with, you know, this is for people who are selling something that takes a little bit of time. It's not, it's not like a retail sale. This is, this is a, you know, you may be doing a discovery, you're having many meetings and you talk about really some, some, some really applicable, I mean, it's all applicable. You've got, you, like you said, you've got checklists and you've got forms that, that people can download and, and it goes through how to set, you know, how to set the, a lot of mindset stuff, but how to set the agendas, how to, how to really run through all those things. It's very practical. Yeah. I, I try to keep it simple. That's right. My job is right. Is to make the complex simple. So it's some, in some topics that, that gets challenging, but um, I've tried to take the, at least the issue of advancing the sale and boiling it down to basically two principles, but there are some preliminaries. Like for example, you know, before you go into any meeting, you should take a minute to think about what you'd like to come out with, right? Right. What, what do you want the outcome to be from this meeting that you're having? And what you should have at least is an ideal advance and a couple of alternative advances. And if your audience is not familiar with that term, there, many years ago, a man named Neil Rackham um, did, conducted the largest face-to-face -face sales study ever conducted. It involved over 35,000 face-to-face sales interactions. And we learned a ton of things about selling uh, from there. I would say Neil Rackham is the patron saint of scientific selling. Okay. Yeah. And it, it definitely a worthwhile book. And you can read the, about the data, um, most of the data in his book in the appendix of that particular book. Right. But um, anyway, what he learned, one of the things he learned, uh, many things, but one of the things he learned is that nine out of 10 sales interactions don't actually end with a win or a lose. That's not what happens. What happens in nine out of 10 sales interactions is you either end up with what he called an advance where the sale moves forward in a little way, right? We have some progress, but it's not closed. Or he called it a continuation. The deal's not dead, but it's not going anywhere either, right. okay? And so what we wanna do before we go into our meeting is we wanna have an ideal advance. What's the best possible thing that could happen? right, as a result of this meeting. And then we want to have a couple of alternative advances just in case our ideal advance turns out to be unrealistic for some reason. Because then, regardless of what happens, your deal will be moving forward every time. And that is when I say that it's 95% effective, what I mean is you're either gonna get an advance where your sale moves forward in a little way, or you'll actually get a sale every single time you use it, okay? And, um, and so with that in mind, then you're prepared to ask the two questions. And there's actually five variations of the perf perfect close. The, the, the kindergarten version is the one I'll share first. And that is the first question is, does it make sense for us to X? Okay, does it make sense for us to X? Where the X is the ideal advance. Okay, so if, if I'm a consultant and I do assessments and things like that, I might say, hey, you know, does, Mike, does it make sense for us to schedule an assessment for you to see what our best options are? In that, in that sentence, the, the assessment is the X, right? And, and then if you think about it, there's only two things you can say, right? You're either going to say yes, yeah. or you're going to say no. If you say yes, then great. We just got our advance. So we didn't even have to use the second question. If you say no, then uh, in the kindergarten version, we're just going to throw the ball back to the customer and we're going to say, okay, well, what do you think is a good next step then? <laughs> right? Sounds too easy, right? But what I can tell you after done hundreds and hundreds of ride-alongs is that the customer will suggest in 90% of cases, they will suggest a very logical next step for where they're at in their buying process, okay? So those are the two basic questions, but those can be upgraded a little bit, okay? And maybe just to give your uh, audience a little hope, um, there's a company out there called uh, gong.io. And what gong.io does is they're a call analytics company and they analyze calls in call centers, you know, where these, well, they do a lot of outbound calling. And they ask this question, they say, what is the best closing approach that there is? And after analyzing over a million calls, they determined the perfect close, which is the one I just shared with you. Okay, and then we'll upgrade it here in a second. But that um, they determined that that approach is hands down the best closing approach that there is, bar none. And that the, wow. the top, top performers are actually using it about three times per hour. 
Okay. Of course, all that, all that study came out after the perfect closer, I'd have put it in the book. But, um, but anyway, so that should give you some confidence that what we're sharing here actually works. And it's proof that these manipulative tactics actually are less effective. And, and there is our, there is some studies, Neil Rackham even uncovered that these closing gambits, they really don't work. In most cases, they backfire. And the larger your deal is, and the more complex your deal is, the more likely they are to backfire. Um, in fact, in one of the studies that they did, um, they gauged the the success rate or um, the uh, level of trust with the customer after one of six different closing approaches had been used. And I, I'll try to remember off the top of my set, there was the, um, the yes set, the um, uh, alternate choice. There is, uh, I, anyway, there's a, there are all these different ones, right? They all have names right. and they're all yeah. manipulative. And what they found, to just cut to the chase, every single one of them damages trust, all of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because you feel like you're being manipulated. Yes, you can tell. And I can even tell you a really crazy personal experience where I tried to use it on a really big deal and it backfired so badly on me that I lost a very, very large deal. And that's one of the ways I learned that, oh, you can use alternate choice when you're selling you know, a, a, a large or a medium drink, but you can't right. use um, alternate choice when you're working with you know deals that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? right. Because people know they're being manipulated and it offends them, right? And so uh, you don't want to, uh, and you don't want to do always be closing either. That's another of those myths. That's uh, that's not always true. ABCs. Right? Yeah. So anyway, so the two questions you already learned is you know does it make sense for us to X and what do you think is a good next step? Now you can upgrade this, and um, I have for most of my career worked with organizations that specialize in healthcare IT systems, and these are very expensive very monolithic systems that, that get installed in big hospital systems uh, across the country and and they're sometimes millions of dollars and um so when we ask them that last question hey what do you think is a good next step because people don't buy those types of systems very much they're actually not in a very good position to tell you what a good next step is because they, they maybe only have done this once in a lifetime mm -hmm. and so you, there's a, new, a, a different variation called the suggestion that makes it a lot easier and, and you can facilitate their thinking a little bit, right? And so in, what we would say is uh, instead of just going, hey, does it make sense for us to X? You can say, you know, other clients at this stage tend to do this thing, right? They tend to do X. Does it make sense for us to do X? Okay. And so all you're doing is you're just being very facilitative and you're suggesting, you know, what you think a logical next step is. Again, it works the same way. They say yes or they say no. If they say yes, great. If they say no, you can still use the suggestion on the follow-up question. And that's when you're going to use one of the alternate advances that you prepared, right? So I could say, well, you know, sometimes clients at this stage also do why. Does it make sense for us to do that? Okay. And you can see here what we're doing is we're, we're just giving them permission to tell us if it's appropriate or not, right? We're not, and, and maybe this is a, a good moment to talk about the subtleties in the difference between does it make sense and will you buy my stuff? Right. Okay, because there's a really big difference, right? Or even will you take this action, right? There's a big difference. One, you're asking directly for the commitment of an action. And the other one, you're just asking about the timing of it. Okay, so at its core, does it make sense is really a timing question. In fact, if, you're if you like that phrase better, you could use it. You could say, hey, is the timing right for us to do this? That's a perfectly okay variation of it, right? You're doing the same thing, okay? And, uh, but, and, the, and the beauty of it is you haven't asked for commitment yet, but they can clearly see the direction you're headed, right? And, that, and that's why you're asking about the timing of it. And so regardless of how they reply, you are emotionally with your customer on much, much higher ground, no matter how it turns out. On the other hand, if I say, will you do this, right? Whatever the this is, and they say, no, boom, you're, you're, the emotional level in your meeting is gonna tank. Right. And so this is really better on every level. And there, we, we spent a little time comparing those two difference. But from a psychology perspective, one is essentially a trial close. It's a timing close. Right. And the other and the other one is uh, you're asking directly for an action. And it has a lot of negative repercussions if they don't answer the right you're, the way you're, you're hoping that they're going to answer. Right. So um, with that little backdrop, then you can upgrade it even more, right? So there's the suggestion. And then if you use the suggestion in the second question, then we call that the fallback. And at the end of the fallback, it, let's just say they say no to the first thing, they say no to the second thing, then you just throw them the ball like you planned, like you practiced the first time. You say, all right, well, what do you think is a good next step? If it turns out, okay, and this can happen, if it turns out that you suggested three different logical advances and they said no to those and you ask them what they think is a good next step and they can't come up with anything, 
then that tells you something about the quality of the folks that you're working with right now, right? And so I'm not saying let your deal go, but you might want to put it into a lower priority because as sales professionals, all we have is our time, right? We turn our time into money. And, uh, and so it's really important that we spend our time working on high probability um, opportunities, okay? All right, so, the, but there's a much cooler version. It's called the add-on. And the add-on is, it, it, we would say, hey, it doesn't make sense for us to X. And they go, yeah, that's, I, I would like, that's good. Then when you go, oh, awesome. Well, you know, sometimes clients at this stage also do, why? They do this other thing. Does it make sense for us to do that too? And it gives them a chance to, to go even faster if, you, if they want, right? And, uh, you know, and you can keep going. Like I said, I think all you need to do is prepare three advances. That's all you really need. At the end of the add-on, instead of saying, instead of throwing them the ball and say, what do you think is a good next step? You can you say this instead. You say, well, are there, any, are there any other logical steps we should be considering right now? Okay. And what that does is that gives the customer a chance to suggest maybe some options that you hadn't even worry, Mike, that, that, that happened to me. So I'm, I'm working with a healthcare organization in Sierra Vista, Arizona, and we were presenting to their IT man and his, his team of IT people. And so we didn't think that was the right people. We, we really thought we were presenting the wrong people. We, what we wanted to do and what our ideal advance was, was to um, present to the executive team who we thought were going to be making the decision, right? And so when it came time, we do our presentation and everything. And then it comes time and I say, hey, you know, does it make sense for us to schedule a, you know, a time for your executive team to, to, uh, to see it so we can get their feedback and participation? He goes, yes, that's a great idea. We want to get everybody involved in this. And I'm like, wow. That was easy, cha-ching, right? So I look at my list. Second thing, I said, well, you know, a lot of clients at this stage want to will want to have our technical people talk about the conversion. Does it make sense for us to schedule a time for our tech people to talk? And he goes, yes, my guys are really worried about that. That's a great idea. So I'm like, wow, cha-ching, right? I get two for two. So I just look at my list. I said, well, you know, I think I think we've got everything we need here for me to be able to create a, like a preliminary proposal for you, just so you can see the scope of it. Does it make sense for me to put together a preliminary proposal for you? Guy goes, absolutely, that would be super helpful. And I'm like, wow, I'm spent three for three, right? So I just asked him that last question. I just say, all right, well, is there any, are, are there any other logical steps we should be thinking about right now? And you'll never believe what this guy says, right? He, he, he kind of looks around, he kind of lowers his voice a little bit. And he goes, well, James, is there any chance I could get a copy of your standard agreement? Because our, our legal people can be kind of slow. <laughs> right? And of course, on the outside, I'm cool as a cucumber. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, I'd be happy to get you. But on the inside, I'm like, yeah, maybe. Are you kidding me? Of course, I can get you a contract, right? I mean, I never would have dreamed that, you know, getting a contract would emerge as a logical advance in this thing because we didn't even think we were presenting to the right people. But because we diplomatically paced it at the rate that this guy was ready to go, we scored four advances, one of which we never even dreamed of. Right. And that's the beauty of these different variations is basically the fallback lets you slow it down if the customer wants to slow down a little bit. And the uh, add-on, right, lets you um, speed it up if they want to go a little bit faster, right? Obviously, that's the funnest version of all the versions, right? Uh, because like just in this smooth and zen-like fashion, you just keep piling on advances until you've reached the, the rate that the client's ready to go. That's awesome. All right, I'm going to give you a real-world example and let you rate my clothes. Okay. All right, so we, as and, and I'm talking to our users now who use our software, um, we have a... Uh, and, and I know you haven't seen it, so I'm going to try and explain it to you the best I can, right? Like there's, they go into um, our software and they, they go into each of the categories that they might be covering, which is security, infrastructure, managed support and services, telecom. And there's nine items in each of those four categories that they'll basically click on it, pick whether it's red, yellow, green, and what they want to say about it. Keeps it real high level, prints out a beautiful report. We have a prospecting component to that. We call it a rapid assessment. So if you were my prospect, I would call you up and I would say, do you have 10 minutes to get on the phone and make sure that you're, you're really, that, you're, that your basic stuff with your IT is covered, you know, especially with people working at home. And hopefully you'd say, yes, I'd get on a Zoom call with you. And I would literally pick a very short version of this, which is one category with nine items. And I would click on each and I would ask you, do you have two-factor authentication and do all your employees have it? And you would say, yes, no, whatever. I'm, I don't know what that is. And I would pick red, yellow, green. And at the end, I'm going to show you the report. And I'm going to show you where you score. And you're going to either be like, hey, we did great. Or you're going to be very alarmed and go, oh, my God, we've got problems. So the close is to get them to let us come in and do a full technical assessment of their IT environment. Okay. So you might look at it and go, oh, my God, we're, we're at a 
our score is a 25 out of 100. We're doing terrible. Oh my God, you're 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 worried about it. And I say, you know, most of a, a lot of folks, what they do when the, when the score is like this, or when the when the when this these results come out this way, is they bring us in to do a full technical assessment where we take a look at your network, your workstations. We do a deep dive into into your environment. Does it make sense for us to come in and schedule a technical assessment with you now? Brilliant, right? And and what I would I, I might ask you, and I'm asking this honestly, uh, is yeah, um, is that assessment like we maybe uncovered in this small little piece that we did? Um, it, that might suggest that that's just the tip of the iceberg. We could have yeah, exactly with a full assessment. We might find a whole lot more opportunity there, and so that's the framing. So you you essentially just use the suggestion model, right? You just said, hey, you know, uh, other clients when they see these kinds of results, very often invite us in, and it seems like there's some opportunity here. You know, you tell me uh, if we saw this much with just this little segment, do you think, you know, if we came in and did a full assessment, we might find uh, some more things that might be useful more opportunities for you to improve. Right. So um, I think you did great. I, I, uh, there's a little bit of framing, which I don't cover too much in the, uh, in the book, but usually if you listen to me and demonstrate how to use it, you'll almost always hear me explain the benefit after the, the doesn't make sense part. Right. And so the we say, you know, hey, other clients at this stage, and then you gave that perfectly. And then you ask them, you know, so it doesn't, you know, does it make sense for us to come in and to do a full assessment so that we can, and then you're going to give them an input a, a benefit, right? An impact to what that it is. And you know, so if there's cost savings, if there's so um, if you can keep it very high level if you want, so we can see what the upside is. Um, we can, you know, uh, whatever the, the main benefit of doing the assessment is, you might tack that on at the end. And, and that's, uh, like I said, if I was going to do a second edition, I would probably spend a little time explaining that when you do that second part of does it make sense to X so that we can benefit, right? That's, right. That, that's how I would probably build out that formula. Um, but I thought you did awesome. And I would, I would argue, in fact, I was just talking to someone a couple of hours ago and uh, they were just saying, I've, I've already used it. I had, they had seen me on another podcast a couple of years ago and they'd been using it for years and then they invited me on theirs and they go. So um, anyway, it's just very natural. And the nice thing about it is um, if they, let's just say that they didn't, they weren't comfortable with that, with the, with the full assessment. Then you say, okay, well, why don't you give me an idea where you're at? What do you think would be a good next step? Right. And then what you're, that, that's a, that's a good test about what level of engagement that they're at with, with the right, I mean, um, if you so there's there's one book out there. I'm not going to name names, but they you know they they tag on this thing at the end of what they say to force a yes answer, right? Yeah, so right, right uh, it would be important for you to know what a full assessment would look like, wouldn't it? Right? If I settle like that, then it's kind of leaning you into a yes answer. But yeah, what, what we really yeah what we really want is we want the truth. We don't. We don't right. want to just force them into the yes, right? We want well, you've got the second question that really, like, if they say, well, you know, uh, I know we should probably do that, but COVID and we're nervous about it. Well, then then comes, what do you think is a good next step, right? Yeah. And, and again, that's the kindergarten version, because for all I know, you might have a full assessment. You might have a partial assessment. You might have an assessment that only does certain technologies, right? right? In which case, those are the alternate advances that we could fall back to. Right. If it says, you know, and, and we might want to ask a little bit. Right. If they if they're not ready. So you, you need to acknowledge it. You, we, we create a um, uh, what's the word? I, you, you basically you want to give them some a sort of um, an acknowledgement of their of your understanding of their reply. Right. And sometimes it's as easy as go. Oh, OK. I understand. Right. I get it. And then. You can ask them, tell me a little bit more about what you have going on in a certain area. Maybe you didn't do a thorough enough discovery before we started trying to advance the sale, right? Um, but then, and then once you hear, you could say, all right, well, you know, other clients at this stage will sometimes do this. Now you've found a better fit because you, they explain to you why they really weren't ready for the full assessment, but it is maybe a good match for that, you know, some halfway mark in there. Yeah, it's, and that's great. Thank you for that. You're basically just coached our, our clients our users on on how to you know a way to kind of use that tool i mean and it's hard to it is hard a little hard to to explain without and you had it perfect like it is the tip of the iceberg it's a little tip of the iceberg presentation that let us come in and do take a look at the full scope of things and and usually the thing that we say is or we teach them to say is you know this is you you, you scored pretty low and and the person on the other end is going to go Ugh, you know they can because they can see it really simply and and 
you basically just say, listen, I, you got some things we have to fix here. You should be fixing, but there could be deeper problems. And I really suggest we should come in and probably take a look at everything. And then, yeah, you could even give us some data uh, that might encourage them. For example, you could say, um, when we see this, very commonly what we see when we do a full assessment is we see this and we see this and we see this. Okay, so let's just say those are deficiencies. Okay, so we, sometimes we see this, this, and this. And when we see those, what that means is you're at risk for this bad thing, this bad thing, this bad thing, and this bad thing. In fact, let me give you an example of this one. And then you tell the story of the client that had the bad thing happen. And so, and so I said, I don't know for sure that that's the case that you've got going on here. But um, usually when we see this in the preliminary assessment, we, we very often see these other things. But we won't know until we look. So you tell me, it, does it make sense for us to come in and do a full assessment? Are you guys, you know, is that, are you at that level? Or, or how are you feeling about it, right? Get some feedback from them. Love it. And so thank you for that. That was, that was awesome. Um, I'm going to put that in, into, into our training. Uh, I'm going to clip that and put that into, into the system training. Um, you talk a lot about science in this and the behavioral, the kind of behavioral science that backs up a lot of these theories. You know, we always knew inherently, I think for years that you really need to make things simple and non-technical for people to understand. But that, now there's science that backs that up. I was wondering if you'd kind of share that. And that was one of the things I loved about this book is, is that you were really talking about making things simple, easy, non-technical, and why those are important. You know, I had to, uh, I had to shorten that chapter. My editor, um, she uh, told me, I, I love behavioral economics. I love it. Right. And so I could go on forever about it. But um, I guess the the there's a couple different things from a um, emotional and behavioral economics thing that are happening uh, with the perfect close. And um, one of them has to do with something called warmth and competence. It's it's how um, it, it, I, I just describe the principle this way. Your intent matters more than your technique does. Okay, and so we're teaching a technique on this. Right. We, we, we've just learned a little bit about how to use the perfect close. And that's a technique. But as it turns out, your intent is more. So um, when people see each other in the first couple seconds, what happens is they size each other up real quick. Yeah. And here's what's going on. The very first thing that they judge is they judge what they call warmth or your intent. Okay. And what they're saying is in their mind, they're saying, is, is this person trying to help me or is this person trying to hurt me? Okay. And then immediately following that, they judge competence. That was just, is this person capable of helping me? Is this person capable of hurting me, right? And and that's what they judge, okay? And the, the common mistake that most salespeople make is they play heavily to competence. It, and so what they're saying is, if I can win, if I can, I mean, if I can prove that I'm the most competent at solving the problem, I will win. That's mm -hmm. what they think is going on. But that is not the case. What all of the social science proves is that um, the judgment about intent and warmth is primary. It means it happens first, and it carries more weight than competency does. So it's really important that we convey all the right messages about how we're really genuinely trying to help them um, in our interaction with them. And if, if they detect that you're doing it for self-serving reasons, then what happens in most cases is the show's off. And um, there's many ways there's, I, I mentioned just three of the um, non-verbal types of communication that we unintentionally send, whether you want to or not, you're doing it, right? One of them's called mirror neurons. And what mirror neurons are, if you see somebody and something's happening to someone, you can you, can, you have sympathy for that person. It, it's why when you go to a movie and you relate to the main character and something sad happens, you feel sad. Right. That, and there's a lot that could be said about that, but that's the short version. There's something called micro expressions, which are these these mic, these little tiny expressions in your face that are one twenty fifth of a second. You can't pick them out. You, you have to slow them down on film to actually catch them in most cases. And people don't say I saw this in his face. They just have, they say they describe it as a feeling, but they happen. You have no control over them and they develop at a super early age, like as early as like one and a half, two years old, people, uh, children can identify these micro expressions. And so you're, you're sending those, you're sending your intent unintentionally with your micro expressions. And then there's something mm -hmm. called paralanguage para and you got a little more control over paralanguage. The paralanguage is the tonality in your voice, right? And, and so if, for, for example, if Mike, if you're significant, you ask your significant, how are you doing? And they say, fine. <laughs> You can totally tell that they're not fine. I've heard that before. Said, right? 
And so people can tell, even in much more subtle ways, that's a very overt way, but right. um, they can tell in much more subtle ways by the way you're saying things, whether you really are trying to help or not. Okay. And so all of these things, when you first share this with sales professionals, you know what they do is they all go, well, how can I control that stuff? How am I going to control that stuff? Right. So I'm sending the right signal. And the answer is you can't, you can't control that stuff. The only way to send the right message that you have good intent is to actually have good intent. Okay. So there's some maybe spiritually good message there that um, if you get off of yourself and off of your solution for a minute and just go in tabulous or blank slate, how can I help this customer? You will be sending all the right signals that makes them want to work with you, right? First, they'll judge your intent as, hey, this guy's really just trying to help me out. Okay. Then that, that'll give you an opportunity to demonstrate your competency. But what most salespeople do is they do it backwards. They're gonna they're gonna beat them over the head with their competency and our my solution is the best solution. And they don't realize that if they don't trust you, it really won't matter how great your solution is. They'll buy they'll buy from the person that they trust. So that's a little bit of the behavioral economics. There's another part. Uh, which is sort of my contribution. I don't think it's been done anywhere else, but I, I tried to explain why advances work. Um, and Neil Rackham didn't do that in his book. He just described the phenomenon, but he didn't actually explain why they work. And there's two principles at work. The, the one is called commitment consistency, and the other is called endowed progress. So I know this, we're getting really esoteric here, but you asked, right? I love this, so, I love this stuff. And I think it's really important because you can't fight science. If you're yeah. trying to force somebody to buy something with, you know, and science is working either with you or against you. So you, you we need to know about this. So Yeah, ab absolutely. So here's the interesting thing. So uh, the first is called endowed progress. And, um, and endowed progress is um, the closer you get to a thing, the more you accelerate your efforts to achieve that thing. Okay. Right. So, and this, uh, if you've ever, I don't know, maybe you're doing a painting or you're working on something or you're working on a, it doesn't matter. Any kind of a project, the closer you get to the finish line, you actually will accelerate your efforts. Right. Okay. And let me let me actually give you a case study here, okay? Because our our found the founder of, of our system is it, it sells this stuff. He's a he's a founder of it, and he also is runs a IT company. He he they do what's called business reviews. They call them QBRs, quarterly business reviews. Sure. So you know, imagine a report with colored, you know, like a Rubik's cube. You know, you got nine by uh, three by three. And it's going to be either red, yellow, or green. When you first become a client, it might be very red, which means you got to fix a lot of stuff, right? You become a client, it gets greener and greener over time. And what, what happens is he's noticed that when he goes into a QBR where there's one red on the report, people are bent on fixing it. Yeah. More than if the, the, there was like half red. Yeah. It's like, or if you said, hey, I'm going to learn Chinese today, it's just too big. So if the whole thing's red, it's like, oh, this is too much work to be done, right? But if there's only just one thing left, you're like, oh, I really want to get that, right? right? So, uh, in fact, I'll give you an example of endowed progress that will, uh, that's a very common one when you read the, the literature. And that is that there was a car wash. And the car wash was, uh, was would give a, you know, a little frequent, you know, shopper card. And uh, as people would have a car wash, they would punch one of these things, right? And so what they did is they tested two different cards, one right. one had five punches on it, and at the end of five, you could get the free car wash. So you, you do your car wash, they get the card out, they punch one, they say, okay, you got four more, and you get back, okay? Then they did another one, again, same car wash, same everything, and it had 10 on it. But what the person did is goes, oh, and they just clipped out six. They punched out six of the car wash um, washes so that the person only had four left to do. Now, in either case, there's only four car washes left, right? But the people that got the car that had the 10 for the one came back 86% more than the people that, 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 um, that got the one. And so it's literally the same thing, but that feeling that they were closer to the end made them accelerate their efforts, right? That's the principle of endowed progress. Now, the other principle um, is uh, called commitment consistency. And uh, Robert Cialdini has written quite a bit about this in his book called Influence. But basically, as soon as a person makes one step to commit, they are strongly compelled to continue along the lines that they have made that commitment. And the example that Cialdini uses in um, in the, the book is uh, that someone will come and they'll sit maybe to your house and they'll say, hey, do you want to sign a petition you know, for a park or something like that? And so that's a, a small step. And then they might come back and say, hey, would you be willing to put a sticker in your window? 
And then, what, and this is all a real test that they did, I'm describing here, right? And so then they, what they did after that is they said, would you be willing to put a sign in your lawn? And then they asked them to do a bigger sign and they go all the way to the point where they would, some people would actually be willing to let them put a billboard, right? And you could never go from zero to billboard. That No one's going to do that. But once they make one commitment, there's a strong compulsion to remain consistent with that commitment. And so that's why you building on the small advance um, actually keeps the client momentum going and it, it, it admits them closer to the goal the end line right and so it's important for us as salespeople to remind them you guys are very close to being already perfect right you've just got the one red spot left right so what you're doing is you're making them aware of the endowed progress that they already have and so these two things feed each other in a positive way where the commitment uh, to take a small step makes them want to take another one and then as they get closer to the end they want to accelerate the process Awesome. I love that science. I love talking about it. Um, Cialdini's book. I'm in the middle of persuasion right now. Uh, Great book. And I've, I've probably read Influence uh, 20 times in, in the past X amount of years. Um, so the, I'm going to wrap it up with this last question, I think, unless unless we because this is great. I could probably talk to you all day. Um, simplicity is really what we're about. What, what this show is about is really getting getting sales professionals in the especially in the IT industry to to speak the language of the business owner that's across the table and not talk technical and when you know they're in a very technical field um, it's hard to get them to do that you know and you summed it up you, you I'm going to read this I, I read this on a, on a teaser video that I did and I read it again because it really summed up what what we talk about here in, in a succinct little sentence if if the agenda items are too technical in nature for certain participants you will lose their attention Conversely, if content is overly simplistic, attendees may resort to texting or checking email during your meeting. Um, you were talking about that in the in the sense of an agenda, but that works in a sales presentation as well. If you're if you're talking over their head at any point in time, you're gonna you're gonna confuse them. If if you're too simple, obviously it's not there's no meat. Like kind of want to dissect that and talk about the importance of simplicity and, and being non-technical. Well, it, obviously the big challenge, which I mentioned in that same chapter, is when you're working with a group and the audience is made up of different people, right? Mm. So if we've got technical people in the same room as there are executive level people that don't care about the minutia, it's a challenging uh, presentation to make because you're trying to keep everybody interested and engaged when when you're talking directly about some technical thing that maybe the technical person asked, right? It, it could bore the CEO, right? So it's really important to remember, and this is super, super true for anybody in the technology space, okay? Super true, is that our technology is not an end unto itself. It is the means to an end. And that is really what people are, the goal is. The goal is whatever the outcome. So the, the goal is security, right? If the goal is uh, speed, if the goal is, I mean, there's whatever the goal, whatever our technology aims to achieve, right? Though we need to constantly be pulling that simple 60,000 foot goal into all of the conversation that we do. It's really even important when you're talking nuts and bolts with the, with the technical people, but it's especially true for the C-level people because all of the way our software works just helps them get to this result that they're seeking. And it's also important, uh, and it's why when I was giving you an example earlier, that um, when we explain to them what the goal is, you need or the risk, right? Right. If, if the goal is to eliminate a risk, it's important for them to know what can happen if they don't do it. Right. And we want to do that in a friendly way. And so the best way to do that is with stories is to do that. And uh, stories the in and of themselves are inherently um, much more memorable. Um, uh, technical people tend to be all about speeds and feeds and 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 the numbers. OK, but no, those numbers are not very memorable, actually, like the, when, when they test people between giving a statistic and telling a dramatic story. Even if the statistics completely destroy the story, right? Meaning when I say destroy, I mean, like if I, um, I'm trying to think of an issue, we'll just say there's an issue. And if you do it this way, the data shows that the 95%, the 99% solution is this, right? But if I tell a dramatic story that demonstrates that better, right? Even if it's a lower probability, let's just say it's a worse solution, but the story is dramatic, it is more compelling and more persuasive. So what you want is you want the best of both worlds. So you drop your statistic and then what you're going to do is you're going to explain it 
with a, um, a dramatic story. And the best is to, to give them a client that mm -hmm. has a story of either something bad that happened. If, it, if that's, you know, those of us who are in the, in the world of risk reduction, that's really what you have to do. And some people don't like it because it's negative selling, but that's really what the business we're in is reducing risk. So we have to explain what they are in order to you know, help the customer get some safety, right? And, um, and so the, uh, the, the story part of it is an important way to, to put a bow on it. And that will be what your C-level guys remember is the elimination of those, uh, of those stories, right? And then even the better is if you use a story that, that's a customer that had the problem, you fix the problem, and then they have the success story. That's the best kind of story because you've got the whole uh, solution all built into the one story. But you don't necessarily have to. In technology, if we have some kind of a breach, which we would have in healthcare all the time, right? Some kind of ransomware or whatever, yeah. um, then we can use any of the headlines that are out there in the industry uh, talking about breaches to illustrate our point of what the risk is, right? And, um, you know, and but if you actually have a, a more detailed story of a single customer, the more vivid the detail, the story, this is a heuristic, by the way, this is another behavioral economics thing. Yeah. The more the more vivid and dramatic the story is, the more memorable the story is. And um, and so that's an important part of your of the framework that you need to create for your story or um, your messaging, right? Is you wanna make sure that you're keeping it high level. You can still go down and dig down and deep, but basically you need to zoom back out and say, and what that means is, is that we solve this overall goal this, this high level. And so you can you can drop down below where the technical level is for the CEO while he's sitting in there. And then but then you get to pop back right back up and drop right back to the you know to the ultimate goal. And what people do is a lot of salespeople fall in love with their product so much that they just can't stop talking about the product. And there's a problem with that. Well, let me just let me give you an example. In your discovery, you might discover a half a dozen things or maybe even more, depends or in your assessment you might discover those, but there will be for the customer Right. Even though you might find 20 things wrong to the customer, there might be only two of those that are really weighted heavily. Interesting. The ones that they're most valued at. Okay. And so it's important that you identify which ones they, not your value system, their value system. Okay. And the thing is you're, you're, you might be on the money. You might know that the two biggest things are number three and number four, but it doesn't really matter if you're trying to sell it and the customer wants number one and number two, the most, then don't shoot yourself in the foot, right? And spend all your time on those two, or even worse, tell him wrong, he's wrong. Hey, you're wrong. You should be looking about these things. There, there's, a, there's an art to that. But where, where I'm going with this is, when you do your discovery, you'll find that there are usually just two issues that are carrying most of the weight that it will be required to sell your, um, your opportunity. And so when you identify that during the discovery process, that's where you want to start. Uh, and, and, um, and then after you're done, if you've done those, you can speak a little bit to the other things. But the more you talk, this is the point I'm trying to make with this story, is the more you talk, the more complex the solution seems. And you don't want that. You're going downhill now. If you solve the problem and the inside they're going, oh, wow, I see how this is going to solve my problem. And then you go on for another 30, 40 minutes about all this other stuff. Then, then they start to go, whoa, this looks like it could be complicated. Maybe I don't want to do this. Right. And so it, it's important that during the discovery phase that you learn what the bullseye is. Right? right. And it's very common, very common for SaaS companies and other things to just immediately want to go to the demo. Boom. Let me go get a demo. Because I can do a demo in 30 minutes or I can do a demo in an hour, right? right? And, and what they're doing is they're just spraying everything rather than figuring out what the main things are. What's important. Yeah. And, and then they inadvertently make their product look more complicated because they showed probably 80% more stuff than they really needed to show. Right. That's cool. I, I love that you said that because that's how I do my demos. I always start off with asking questions, you know, because that's what people want is they want to come on a demo. And I, I get on and I ask them what they're looking for and why they're, why we're, why we're here and trying to learn as much as I can so I can show them in the right framework, in the right context and take them down the right path. Um, well, yeah, well, I'll give you an example, right? Uh, so uh, I had a client that invited us in, it was medical records and all that kind of stuff. And we we're asking them what they want. And they're telling us about all these things. And then, um, you know, we got to thinking what we knew what we wanted. And then as we got into the demo, it, we uncovered that this guy's had failed a Medicare audit and had been fined a huge amount of money. Now, we didn't do a very good job in our discovery, right? But we picked yeah. it up, fortunately, in the middle of the demo. But clearly, 
this was the real reason that we were sitting in that office working with those people is because they had been fined hundreds of thousands of dollars from a Medicare audit that they failed, right? And so had I done a better job in the discovery, we could have just gone, actually, if you're looking, one thing that you get with the EMR is it's gonna solve your Medicare compliance issues, right? Because right. that's these things. I would have checked that guy's box immediately, right? And so that's the point of doing the discovery, right? We, we seek to understand before you're understood. Right. Yeah. And you and you talk a lot about in the book about, you know, doing the work, going in preparation before you go in, setting up your agenda prior, doing the research that that asking the right questions, doing proper discovery. And I think you've mentioned that in the book a couple of times, probably like there's there's no I think in in my, in my world and anybody's world, I think people look for shortcuts. They look for the magic button they can push. You know, and I'll, I'll tell our, our folks all the time, you know, if there's a magic button that you could push, then your customers could push that same magic button, too, and they don't need you. You know, the, the, the reason you get paid a premium for what you do is because you, you bring the expertise to it. You have to do the hard work. There's no easy way. Yeah, there's easy ways, but there's well, a good comparison is you, if you have a headache, you know that you can go to the pharmacy and get your own aspirin. Right. But um, when you go to a doctor, you're expecting that doctor to listen and make a diagnosis and then give you the prescription. Right. So prescription without diagnosis is malpractice, right? So, uh, and you don't want your product to become an over-the-counter medicine. No. Because then they don't need you as a sales professional. And I'm telling you, literally thousands and thousands of sales jobs have been completely disintermediated because they can go online and customize sure. the PC or the whatever they're gonna build, right? With it, with a computer, and then there's no need there's no need for a salesperson to be involved in that process. No. When's the last time you bought a plane ticket with a travel agent, right? Yeah. Like the Uber Uberfication, and I tell people now, you know, I was always a, I, I believe that there is nothing that can't be automated anymore. Like I think one day robots will come to our house and put you know fix fix our roof for us. Anything's on the table at this point. The things we've seen in this world and and the way things are going. Count your lucky stars if you can't push a button quickly to do something. Yeah, well, a lot of value is created when you take selling skills and you overlay domain expertise, okay? And so the computers haven't quite caught up to that point yet. It's understanding human nature, right? It's like applying the behavioral economics that we've talked about, like what's it like to be human and how do they, people want to interact with each other, along with some domain experience in an area, right? You, you can help them solve a particular problem that because you understand that problem maybe a little bit better than they do where you overlay those two you can you can make gold there right um, because a lot of value is created for the customer awesome well james i'm going to let you get out of here and um i thank you for being on here i want to make sure everybody goes right now to get this book this is a great book and, and i have a feeling i'm going to be asking you to come back on here again soon yeah th I'd, be, I'd be happy to thanks for inviting me i appreciate it Thank you and thank everybody for listening. Until next time, keep elevating IT.